This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 98 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. Broadcast recently had a hangout with Wendy Mann, where Wendy was talking all about how we can know our identity in Christ, particularly as we're planting churches. In this episode of the podcast, we're bringing you the recording of that hangout. You can find the full notes on everything that Wendy had to say at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 98. So here is Wendy Mann. I remember one key moment for me when it came to identity was several years ago now, I was spending some time with God in my bedroom and I was having a bit of a rant about where I fit in the church. What my, what's my title? What is it you've called me to, God? Where am I meant to be doing the stuff you've called me to? What does it look like? What should I be called? And I was kind of having a bit of a rant with God um, because I just didn't know what the answer was and I was a bit frustrated um, I think particularly being a woman, I was like working out where do I fit? And I very clearly remember in that moment, God said to me, um, Wendy, the only title I want you to focus on um, is daughter. I want you to focus on being my daughter, learning what it is to be my daughter above every other title. And he said, if you do that, if you can learn to focus on being my daughter above everything else, I will sort everything else out. I will open up opportunities. I will make it clear where you're meant to be and what you're meant to be doing. And that's exactly what he what he's done. As I've tried to learn how to be a daughter, what that actually means to have him as my father and for me to operate as his daughter, um, he has been very faithful to open up opportunities. And obviously, I'm still growing and learning. The thing about knowing our identity is that there's always more revelation for us. There's always more for us to learn. But God has been so faithful as I've gone on that journey. What's interesting is my identity and understanding who I am has also been the the biggest area of battle for me. It's interesting. The enemy knows that if believers really understand who God says they are, if they really get hold of their identity, it changes how they behave. It changes how they think. It changes their expectation. And so he is on a mission to um, disempower Christians by lying to them about who they are. And for me personally, over the last 20 years, I would say that the battle for my identity has been one of the biggest battles I've had to work through. And um, even recently, this last year, I turned 40 and um, I was just processing uh, with Jesus, spending some time with God in my room one evening, just hanging out with him, thinking about my life and wondering if I had any regrets or, or anything. And I, I, it was, I wasn't expecting this, but because the, the, I'm, I'm single, I don't, yet, I don't have children I suddenly realized there was a massive amount of pain for me about the fact that I don't have kids. And uh, I felt in that moment, uh, the enemy, I hadn't realized I'd been believing this, but the enemy had been lying to me about um, being a mother. Uh, I'm due to speak on Mother's Day um, this year. And obviously I'm a spiritual mother, but the enemy said to me, you you shouldn't get up and speak on Mother's Day. You're a fraud. You don't know what you're talking about. And so in that moment, the enemy came to undermine my identity, uh, undermine my leadership essentially, because when I'm leading, I'm really mothering because he wanted me to be less effective and step out of who I'm called to be. And the enemy is on a mission to do that in the church. And um, I think for us, it's so important that we go on a journey of um, understanding more about who God says we are um, and asking the Holy Spirit to help us to grow in revelation. 
when I look through scripture, uh, all the stuff that it says about who we are, it's mind blowing to me. You know, um, we've got a brand new nature. We're slaves to righteousness. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. We're dearly loved sons and daughters. We're holy and blameless. We're ambassadors of Christ. And I think often we can have this as head knowledge, but I think God really wants us to have it as revelation, wants the Holy Spirit to breathe life onto it. Because when it, when it comes as revelation, it then impacts the way you behave and changes the way you behave. And so it's important we go on this journey for ourselves, also for the people we're leading, because we can only lead the people that we're leading as far as we've gone ourselves. And so, um, yeah, it excites me to be able to talk about this stuff. I, I teach about it wherever I go, still learning so much. But I just wanted to whet your appetite, really, in terms of, um, some of the ways that understanding our identity impacts how we lead. And there's so many different ways, so many different impacts it can have. But I've picked out a couple of broad themes, I suppose, that um, hopefully will get you excited about going on this journey. I think the first thing that happens when, or one of the ways knowing your identity impacts how you lead is that it just generally raises your expectation of what God wants to do in you and through you and what is possible through you as you are obedient to God. I think when you understand what God says about you, it, 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 it does impact your expectation of how God wants to use you. Um, for example, uh, when you get revelation of the fact that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and we're talking about, when we talk about that, we're talking about God. When, we, when you understand that the same power who raised Jesus from the dead actually dwells and lives inside of you, and that scripture says that the Holy Spirit wants to flow through you like rivers of living water. When you understand that and you get revelation of that, then you expect something to happen when you do stuff that God's called you to do, when you teach or when you go for a coffee with a friend or when you pray for someone. If you've got that revelation that, gosh, God actually dwells in me and wants to flow through me, you just have an expectation that something's going to happen. Um, I was... Even yesterday, I was at Centre Parks uh, with the Impact students doing some teaching with them. And uh, at the end of one of the sessions, I was doing some ministry. And I could see this guy at the back of the room being prayed for by a couple of other people. And I could see what God was on him. And he began to get emotional. And I, I, I just knew God wants, he's got more that he wants to do with this guy. And I just, I just knew if I can get my hands on him, if I can go up and pray and lay hands on him, something's going to happen. Um, because I've got I've got some extent of revelation of, of what I carry and therefore what what authority I'm able to operate with. So I went over to him and um, just got to pray for him. And just as I began to pray and uh, speak freedom over him, um, it, it stuff began to shift and he he began to experience a greater measure of freedom. Why is that? Well, it's partly it's because I understand God is in me and I've got some measure of understanding of how that works and what that looks like. Obviously, I don't get it fully, but knowing who God says I am has a knock-on effect in terms of what I'm expecting to happen um, as I teach, as I pray, expecting God to speak to me prophetically um, and such like. So that's what one impact. Uh, you know, another example when it comes to um, our identity, if you, if you have revelation of the fact that you're called to be the light of the world uh, and that you understand that means that there's something about your life that is meant to show people Jesus. And, um, you know, Jesus talks about in scripture, you know, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl. 
And the thing I take from that is that as Christians, we're not meant to be hidden. We're not meant to not be seen. I think you understand it. God, is, God says, I am the light of the world. That blows my brains, but that's what he said. So I want to be able to be seen. I want to fully step into who he's called me to be. I want to have influence. I want to be able to represent who he is through the way I live, through the what I say, through what I don't say, through the way I apologize or whatever it might be. Um, and so I think, again, when you understand this is who God says I am, then it does something in your expectation of, OK, well, if, if you say this is who I am, then I'm going to expect stuff to happen through me. Um, and I think just to say, um, sometimes people can feel nervous about lots of emphasis on identity. I think as I've traveled around and taught on this, I can sometimes feel like there's some resistance. And I think the, I think the fear sometimes for people is that if we focus too much on our identity and looking at who we are, we're actually gonna make people proud or people that are gonna become arrogant or the focus is always gonna be on me. And um, I, I understand that. I understand the, the caution and nervousness about that. But um, I think, I think sometimes we can have a wrong understanding of humility. So I think that obviously God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. We're called to be humble and humble ourselves. Um, but I think sometimes we can believe that being humble is not being very significant, being, you know, verbally beating ourselves up, not thinking, not thinking very good things about ourselves, um, not succeeding or whatever. Whereas I think, my understanding is that humility is about being everything God's called you to be, but realizing it's all because of him and giving him all the glory. And personally, my experience has been the more that I have understood what God says about me now that I'm in Christ, the more actually it's caused me to fall in love with Jesus and to worship him. Because I'm not just at the point of thinking I've been forgiven and I've been brought back to a place of neutral, which would have been enough. I've actually been brought into this amazing inheritance and this amazing identity. And for me, it's just totally mind blowing. And what it does for me is it makes me think, wow, God, all this is because of your grace. And actually it causes me to, to worship more and, and to be more in love with Jesus because I understand not just what he's saved me from, but what he's brought me into. And it's absolutely incredible. Um, so um, I hope that's helpful. If, if that's a challenge for you in, in looking at this. Um, I think the other thing to chuck out there as an implication for if you understand your identity in Christ on your leadership is that I think the more you know who God says you are and then the more you understand your identity, the more internal peace and security it brings you as a person because you realize that who God says you are is because of Jesus and it's nothing to do with you. Uh, you haven't earned it. You could never earn it. It's all because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And so that just has an impact on a, lots of different areas. So first of all, it means that you don't have to strive or strain to be a particular person. You know, the trying really hard and the striving kind of comes to an end because you realize that who God says you are is true because of Jesus and not because of your performance, anything you do or don't do. And that just takes the pressure off. And I think another implication is, I think it brings a lightness to your leadership um, and uh, a sense of, yeah, just a sense of lightness and trusting God to a different level. I remember before I started going on this journey, I would have been, I was very uptight in my leadership. I was very easily stressed, pretty uptight and intense. And um, 
uh, God has just done a, done a work in me. And I think really I was uptight, uptight because I didn't really rate who I was. I think I felt like I lacked in some way. And so I tried to make up with it and overcompensate through how I led and performing really well and working really hard and achieving. And I think when you understand that, you know, Jesus is building his church, he's responsible for the church. My responsibility as his daughter is just to learn to follow him really closely and let him lead me then it just takes the pressure off and it makes leading a lot more fun and a lot more enjoyable. I think it also deals with comparison. So a big issue in the church is comparison, stops people running in their lane and being all that God's called them to be. I think when you understand who God says you are, you can be fully you and you can celebrate other people for how they are and you can celebrate you. And there's a lack of comparison, a lack of competition um, because we know who God says we are. And the other thing is, I think when you understand your identity, you can take risks, which is important for any, any kind of leadership. You can take risks and get something really wrong and, and still be okay and at peace and secure because you know your identity hasn't changed because it's not based on your performance. Um, and you can also step out and take a risk and get it totally right and not fall into pride because you know it's because of God's grace. It's only because of God's grace that um, you've been able to do it anyway. And so it just makes taking risks more fun as well because you know, well, God's got your back, your identity is secure, um, nothing can change it. Um, so even, for example, um, again, yesterday at Centre Parks, I felt like give, God give me a word of knowledge um, to do with Brook, Brook Street. And I've learned over the years that, you know, if I if I bring that word and it's totally wrong, it, it really is OK. Um, I've realized that I, God loves me just the same. It doesn't change anything about what he thinks about me. And actually, the thing about words and knowledge is you can't know if they're right unless you share them. And so I, I stepped out and brought it. And it actually, it, it was relevant for someone in the room, but it would have just it would have been just as fine if it wasn't. In fact, I remember one time at church when I was first learning about words and knowledge, I brought some words of knowledge and I said, right, I'll be at the back if, if any of those make sense to you. And uh, I remember walking to the back of the church. And as I was walking to the back of the church, God, God said to me, um, no one's going to come. And I thought, well, that's weird. I just thought maybe that's me. But I got to the back, sure enough, no one came. And as I was waiting at the back, feeling a bit, bit like a lemon, um, God said to me, this is fun, isn't it? And the sense was that he just wanted me to know that the joy of being obedient to him and and partnering with him and knowing that nothing changes based on the fact that no one came. He still loved me just the same. I got to be with him and learn more about my identity in that moment. So it just takes the pressure off, I think, when it comes to leadership, understanding your identity is secure because of Jesus. And I think if I was to give you some tips on how to grow in your identity and how to take next steps in terms of going on this journey, um, here would be some of them. I think the first thing I would say is, it's a lifelong journey. You don't ever get to the point where you think, yeah, I've made it. I totally understand who I am. Uh, that's not how it works. There's always going to be more for us to discover. And so I just would encourage you to commit to that journey of discovering who God says you are. And I think another thing I would say is to, um, to make son and daughter your main title your main identity that you go after before leader before church planter before husband wife whatever it is make son or daughter your primary title make it your 
aim to learn what it what does it mean to be a son what does it mean to be a daughter um and linked in with that i think it's it's going on a journey of relating to god as your father i think that's been a huge turning point for me has been learning who god is as my father and um as I've learned more about who he is as my father and understanding his nature, understanding what he thinks about me, that in turn has then impacted my ability to be a daughter. And again, I'm not perfect at it, that there's so much still to learn, but bit by bit, God is changing my thinking and my perspective. So I'd encourage you um, go on a journey of saying, Father, God, I want to know more of who you are as my father. Would you teach me what that looks like and what that means for me? I think thirdly, um, it's learning to recognize lies that the enemy tries to tell you. I think that's his main way often of um, trying to undermine our identity is to do lies. So it's learning to recognize them and then unravel them and deal with them and then step into the truth. And I think when it comes to lies, sometimes they're very obvious, the lies that the enemy tells us. So I remember once praying for my mum uh, who had cancer and uh, walking up and down outside my house and praying and, and the thought popped into my head, your prayers aren't very powerful. And that was an obvious lie because the Bible clearly says your, your prayers are powerful and effective. So I knew that that was a very obvious lie and could deal with it quite quickly. I think when it came to uh, this recent lie about feeling like a fraud to speak on Mother's Day because I'm not a mum, I, I wasn't aware I was thinking that it was it was a bit more subtle and it just it came out just as I was spending time with Jesus that evening. But I wasn't aware that that was going on. And sometimes lies that we're believing about ourselves are obvious. And sometimes we're not even aware they're there until we come across a situation or someone says something to us. And suddenly we think, hang on a minute, I think my thinking about myself isn't quite right here. And I think when you identify a lie, my, my tips would be firstly to unravel it. So what I mean by that is uh, recognize the lie. So let's take my example of you'll, you'll be a fraud to preach on Mother's Day. So then I'm at, I unravel it by asking these kind of questions. Why would the enemy want me to think that I would be a fraud to preach on Mother's Day? Well, the answer is because he doesn't want me to preach. Why does the enemy not want me to preach on Mother's Day? Well, the answer is because I've got something significant to say. So what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to preach on Mother's Day. And so it's, it's taking what the enemy is trying to use to stop you stepping into who, who God's called you to be, unraveling it, and then making a decision to respond um, in the way that he doesn't want you to, so that you do step into who God's called you to be. So unravel the lie. I think then it's important that you speak out the truth. Uh, it's not just enough to stop believing the lie. We've got to actively believe what's true. And I think that's where the renewing the mind happens. You know, when, when Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, it's to do with changing the way you think. And I think often when it comes to dealing with identity, we need to actively stop believing the lie, but also then intentionally believe the truth. And, um, you know, on some occasions, obviously there's scripture. It's important to focus in on what does the Bible say about things, obviously with the prayer the truth is my prayers are powerful and effective. And so it's about speaking the truth out, um, speaking it out loud. There is power when we speak stuff out rather than just thinking it. There's actually, that's, there's life, death and life is in the power of the tongue. So when you speak out truth, something supernatural takes place. There is life that flows when you do that. So um, I'd encourage you to speak truth out. When it came to 
the fraud lie, um, sometimes what we need to hear is the rhema word of God, which is him speaking to you in the moment about that particular issue. And um, I remember as I was processing this stuff with God and, and expressing some emotion about not having kids, um, and, I, and I realized I had this lie, I asked God, what did he think about it? And he actually said to me, he said, Wendy, the thing that makes you a mum isn't the fact that you've got biological children, but it's the fact that you're made in my image because I am, I, I carry the traits of both father and mother. And suddenly that was massive for me. It was like the, it was like the rhema in the moment word of God that then just sustained me and brought life to me in a fresh way. And so we need to hear what God says to replace the light and then intentionally go after it until our thinking changes, until we are thinking differently about ourselves and we're thinking about ourselves in line with what God says. Um, and I think sometimes with lies, it's as easy as just thinking differently. So you forget the lie, you speak the truth and your thinking changes. I think sometimes when God reveals um, lies they're actually attached to pain um they can be quite deep lies maybe we've believed them for years and in order to get free and to be able to really step into who god says we are we've got to actually process the pain we've got to get with god um, express the pain um talk to him about what happened why that lie has come in or whatever so for me the pain of not having kids i had to I had to go through that and process that to be able to then step into, but this is what God says, and this is the truth about who I am. Um, so that's that. And the last thing I would say before I finish up, if you want to grow in your identity and understand more about who God says you are, is to pursue a lifestyle of authenticity. Um, I think this has been huge, actually, for me on the journey. I'm in a church culture here where we really value authenticity. And what I mean by that is taking off your mask and showing people who you really are. Because I think a, a big one of the biggest robbers of identity for people is actually shame. And uh, uh, where guilt says, I did something wrong, shame says, I am something wrong. And often if people have got stuff from their past or their present, they're ashamed of where they've messed up or either they've done stuff or someone has done stuff to them. Um, if that stays hidden, if that stuff stays hidden and they don't talk it out, there can be a lot of shame that they, they feel. And then when the enemy comes to lie, uh, there is real weight behind his lie. And uh, if, if, if people don't talk out that stuff, then it just, it just keeps you trapped. Shame, shame makes you want to hide. Um, it makes you want to run away. Um, and if the enemy can use shame to um, stop people being who God's called them to be, then he will. However, if you, if you bring that stuff into the light and you, you speak it out with people and you receive love and acceptance from them, uh, immediately you speak it out, shame is broken. The power of shame is broken and where the enemy will want to use that to lie to you about who you are. When, when shame is broken, you can actually then start to think, actually, no, what God says about me is the truth. This thing from my past or whatever is not what defines me. The thing that defines me is what God says about me. And um, it's an incredibly powerful thing. And for me, over the years, there have been lots of moments where I've, you know, had to or chosen to be authentic and showing people who I really am. And it's been huge in terms of freedom and me being able to bit by bit keep embracing who God says I am, keep believing that what he says is actually true. And uh, it's still a battle. There's still choices to be made. I don't think, as I said, I don't think you ever arrive, but I think these are helpful tools on the journey of letting God 
bring revelation to your heart of who he says you are so that you can be everything he's called you to be, have the influence he's called you to have, but also lead others also into that place um, so that we can see the church mobilized with men and women who really get who they are and get to do the stuff that God has called them to. How do you go about, so, so you're in church and it, of course you know from Bible, you know people told you you're a child of God, but how can you by yourself in your own time with God, what are the best ways to actually just have that stamp of God to how do you hear him? How do, where do you find that, I don't know, just knowing, yes, I know I'm accepted, I know I'm a child of God. What, what are the best ways? In well, I just, I'm just going to caveat this Q&A caveat this time. I told Rada earlier, I'm a reflector, so I will have a brilliant answer for you tomorrow, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer as best I can off the top of my head. Um, I, think, I think it's going, obviously going on your own journey with God as to what, what you find helpful. I think for me, um, when I spend time with God on my own, it's, it's remembering, so it's definitely being intentional about sitting. If I'm sitting with God, I'm like, okay, I need to remind myself, thank you, God, that you're my father. Um, uh, I'm your daughter. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you're for me. So just reminding myself through what I say, what the truth is. Um, so definitely doing that. I think there are other times, and again, this will be different for different people, I like to sit quietly and just I'm just I just say okay father would you I just want to let you love me right now and so I have to try and discipline myself in those moments just to stop just open myself up allow God to come and fill me allow him to come and speak to me um, so I try to take moments where I'm not busy you know, interceding, crying out. Obviously, I do that stuff, but I also want moments where I'm just with him and I'm just letting him love me. Um, I think I'm, I'm realising that um, it's very difficult to love other people if you don't know that you are loved first. And obviously, the Bible says, you know, we love because he first loved us. But I think there's so much more of his love to know and encounter. And so I try to intentionally take time just to let him love me just to sit listen to worship let the truth impact my heart um and also i think the other thing rather is that when i'm worshiping so sometimes i'll put music on and i'm worshiping i try to make sure my heart really engages with what i'm saying so i think sometimes we can worship from here um and we're singing the words because we know the words and they're familiar but I try to make a conscious decision to worship from here. And so when I'm singing, you know, songs about identity, I can't think of one off the top of my head. Oh, you know, I am a child of God. There's a phrase about that in a song. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to sing that from here. And just, and just try and, as I'm singing it, be mindful of, man, that's actually true. And trusting the Holy Spirit will bring revelation to me in that. Um, so those would be some of the, some of the things. Um, but I think for, mostly it's having the mindset of I want to grow in understanding God as my father. I want to grow in understanding as who, who I am as his daughter and just letting the Holy Spirit lead you in that really because he knows what you need in the moment. Yeah. I think one of the lies is, is that, that we think, oh, it doesn't matter who I am. It's, you know, God is it's all God. You know, this, this 
this humility thing that you were talking about. And, and I love actually C.S. Lewis, he says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Yeah. And, and humility is a funny thing, isn't it? Because actually it can come, you know, you can be really, really proud person yet portray yourself very humble. Mm -hmm. but, but with this, with this knowledge of, of, you know, kind of who you are in Christ, it is really knowing, okay, yes, it's all God, but actually he chose me. And yeah. just how in this understanding, um, how important it is for you to be surrounded by people who, who actually will encourage you to think of yourself as worthy, because come on, Jesus died for us on a cross. Um, and we were worthy to him, but we forget that, don't we? And how important mm -hmm. it is for you to be surrounded by those people actually? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it's, I think it's, I do think it's very important. Um, I'm very fortunate in that the environment that I'm in here at the King's Arms, a lot of my time is spent in our training for, for Supernatural Ministry School, which I oversee. And we have a culture there where it's very, it's very difficult to speak negatively about yourself. So it will be picked up on. Um, I, I, remember, I remember one time this poor lady came up the front to share a story and she she listened to other stories and she started her story by saying my my story is not as good as all the rest and she had she she was met with this collective oh no 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 and and we said okay what's going on there of, of course your story is brilliant because it's it's a story that god's done something and so I, I gave her an opportunity to try it again and she then started by saying i've got a great story to share and we were like yay so <laughs> I think it is, it is really significant. I, I don't think we used to have this culture, if I remember rightly, because I've been in the church for a long time now. I think um, I do remember back in the day wish, wishing there would be more encouragement and more. Um, I, just, I just thought we were lacking it somehow. I think what shifted is we've got quite a big emphasis on the culture of honour um, and honouring God, honouring yourself and honouring others, which, which really talks about recognising value. And so in a culture yeah. of honor, there's a big emphasis on recognizing your own value, but also other people's value. And then there is a mutual honor that goes on. And so there's quite a lot of encouragement that happens uh, between, between people. And that definitely helps because it just, I guess your words are powerful. So you then, when you encourage someone, you breathe life on the truth and it comes alive. And I've seen it happen with, you know, students have come to TSM they can't look up in worship when they get prayed for. Their their heads are down. They don't realize who they are. And you spend a few few months telling people you're brilliant. God has called you. You've got significant gifting. This is what I see. And you suddenly see people come alive, see them wake up, see them stand tall, see them step into their destiny. So it's a powerful thing. I, I would say that if someone's in a culture where that, that isn't happening yet, um, I would just think, I'd just say be that person. Um, be someone who encourages, be someone who calls stuff out of people. Um, really, what we're talking about is a prophetic culture because it, a culture <clears throat> of encouragement really is a prophetic culture because encouragement is the foundation of the prophetic. Um, and I think, yeah, I would just encourage people to go for it, mutually yeah. encourage each other, challenge each other when, when you say stuff that isn't right. I guess in a in a kind of a context of a church plant, obviously there are just sometimes only a few of you. Sometimes it's just only your family, and uh, you know it's really important, isn't it, to actually be doing 
be doing that. But how would you just give us some tips how to, because if you have to create culture, if there is no culture there, don't mm -hmm. you? It's a long process. Mm -hmm. But what are some of the steps like that you would just, the first, first of all, I guess, know who you are yourself. Mm -hmm. And then how do you go, you know, if you have had people who are very negative, you know, how do you go about that? That's a good question. I mean, I, I, um, I can talk about if I was, if I was around someone who is very negative, I guess, I guess you end up, you can, you can, the good thing about church planting is particularly if you're on the team, you can, you can shape the culture. And so you can have a discussion at the beginning of, of whatever you're doing. We want this kind of culture. We want to, we want to culture of encouragement. Okay, so let's let's be intentional about encouraging, and then you can do things like, whenever you meet together, okay, let's just encourage each other, or let's pray for each other and make sure we prophesy so that we're encouraging each other, or uh, we're going to send cards to people with encouragement on, or w if we hear someone saying something negative, we're going to challenge them and ask them what's going on. And if what I would do, I mean, I. I'm a bit cheeky sometimes, so I, even if I don't know people, I, I perhaps would call them on it, not all the time. But what I would do literally is say, oh, I would either immediately say, oh, I don't think that's true. Um, I think this is, I don't think, I, I think this is what God says about you. Or I would ask them, perhaps, perhaps if I had a bit more relationship, what's going on? Tell me, tell me why you just said that. Why did you say that about yourself? And, and sometimes it would be an easy solve and they think, oh, yeah, I'm that, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Sometimes by asking questions, you expose some deeper reasons why they believe that thing they've just said. And then you can mm. encourage them to get with God and you can pray it through with them and work out. Because as I said, some lies and some negativity is actually attached to pain and past experience. Mm. And so I think by asking questions to unravel, okay, what's going on? Why did you just say that? Um, what, what do you think God thinks about that is a really good question. What do you think God says about it? Um, obviously, in those instances, people tend to know what God thinks. And so you need to encourage people not to be glib about it. Well, yeah, he loves me. Well, yes, that's a good first step. But we, it's about helping people to, to really get to a point of believing that's true. Um, but I do think often with negativity, there can be some deeper reasons why someone, particularly if they're often negative, um, and it's uh, by asking questions, you can work out what's going on for them. But at the same time, keep speaking truth, keep encouraging. Yeah. yeah. And how does, obviously, you were talking about culture of honour and how important it is. Um, how does that shape the way that you give feedback to people or, or, and actually develop them in their ministry? Because just by saying, oh, you're great, you're great, you're great. You're not always helping people really actually bring out the best out of them or put them on where God wants them to be. Very good. Yeah. Well, I would say that, um, uh, in fact, I think one of the outworkings as a leader of knowing your identity and being secure in your identity is the ability to give good feedback and also to confront when you need to. I think a culture of honor isn't about um, letting people do whatever they want. Um, in fact, that's not really honor. That's, actually, that, that's, that's absence. Um, and so what a culture of honor says is I can, I can see you are valuable because you're made in the image and likeness of God. And that is, that is true all the time, but it doesn't mean that actually you need some help with your ability to teach or your ability to host. And so what, again, what I can tell you what I do and not everyone will do it like this and that's fine. I, um, 
my preference when it comes to feedback is to um, just I, I have a I like to have a culture of encouragement when I tell people often how, how much I love them, how brilliant they are, how much of a gift they are, not just based on their performance, but just also just because of who they are. I think sometimes when it comes to feedback, we can focus so much on performance that we reinforce a performance mentality rather than you're just brilliant because you love people really well or whatever it might be. So yeah, when it comes to feedback, I will um, I will have listed. So let's say, uh, let's like a live example. I'm overseeing a guy who's doing teaching, right? So I'm, I sit with him afterwards. What I, what I tend to always do first is ask him what he thinks. How do you think it went? Um, because I want him to grow in self-awareness. And it really is a, it gives me a great eye opener as to what he thinks about himself and, and where he's at. So if he launches into all the stuff that was, was not good, then I will say, okay, I want you to start with what you did well. And I tell you, often people find that the most difficult. What did you do well? And my main, my main desire is that he has been obedient to God above everything, above anything else. I want him to grow and, and improve. But if he if he has been obedient to God, then he has been successful, in my opinion. So did you do everything God asked you to do? Great. Even if it went wrong, that's great. Well done. We can learn the other stuff a bit later, but well done. So ask him, how do you feel it went? It helps me to understand whether I want to, I need to come in encouragement heavy because he's looking at it really negatively or whether he's not seeing any of the stuff he needs to grow in and I need to help him realize there is stuff to grow in. And then I would give a few thoughts. I'll give loads of encouragement and maybe a couple of areas. I think, I think you could really grow in this. If you change this or if you adapted this, and I like to give people a reason why, um, not, not because it's just my personal preference. I want to teach them principles. So if you change this, it will have an impact on this particular area, and that's going to be helpful. And, um, and then see what they think about it and talk it through. Um, and then hopefully they have another opportunity to soon to give it a go. So a feedback is definitely, definitely important. Um, and I think, as I said, knowing your identity helps you give it well, but also helps you to receive it well. So it's, yeah, key. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, and so obviously, you know, you, you are talking from a point, viewpoint of a leader. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a leader, as you said, it's really, really hard not to compare yourself to others. Mm -hmm. As a pioneer, because we are talking to, to church planters here, is also really hard to not to compare your church plant with another church plant or whatever. Yes. But how do you how do you go about you know being yourself and not compare yourself with others? <laughs> I do it perfectly. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I do you know what? It's been a journey for me, and um, I, I remember back in the day. I think it was Julian Adams. I don't know if you guys know Julian Adams, South African Julian Adams was around our church for a bit. And I remember watching him prophesy and thinking, oh, I'm never going to be able to do that, but I really want to. And, you know, I've definitely been on, I've definitely been on that journey. Um, I think, I think, I think it's been a mixture of things really. I don't think there's one formula. I think part of it has been God the journey God's taken me on in terms of my own internal journey. 
So dealing with um, rejection stuff from my past, dealing with lies bit by bit as God has brought that stuff up and I've dealt with it with him. I've What's happened is I've got more comfortable in my own skin. That's what's happened. Um, so whereas before I would try and be who I thought everyone else wanted me to be um, and then lost who I really was, I've realized actually what I really want is to be who God wants me to be and to please him above anybody else. Um, I don't really want to, to care what other people want me to do. I want to do what God wants me to do. I'm not always good at that, but so I've got more comfortable in my own skin. Um, being able to love more who, who God's made me to be mm. uh, really valuing the gift he's given me. So taking time to thank God for making me, me rather than wishing I was more like someone else or less like this or more like that. So for years, I thought that I was a problem. Um, that was that was the lie because I think I think particularly as a woman in leadership with quite a level of leadership, and not seeing many examples, I felt a bit like a problem to the guys because it felt like they didn't quite know what to do with me. Um, what I've had to realise is actually my gift is a provocation, my leadership is a provocation, and therefore it's a gift, and I am a gift in what I bring and who I am. But again, that's been a process. Um, so I think I think the, the bottom line is loving Jesus and wanting what he wants for you more than anything else. And I think as disciples, we're meant to be learners and followers of Jesus, not of people, not of strategy, but Jesus. So. I think a question to be asking is, okay, God, what are you saying to me? And am I doing it? And I think that's key for any leadership. I would imagine for church planting, I, I've never done it, but I think the key question and what we ask often with TSM, God, what are, you, what are, are we still doing what you've asked us to do? Or are we following a, a formula or a structure? Um, yeah. what, what have you called us to do? And it will look different for everyone, and that's how it should be. Um, but it, yeah, it's a journey to go on. Okay, am I wanting to please God above everything else? And the rem remembering yeah. he, he builds the church. And um, we're so much more successful if we do it as us. Because I don't know about you, but trying to be someone else is quite tiring. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I lived in England for 15 years and failed miserably of trying to be English. I'm, I'm not, yeah. I'm a Mediterranean and, and yeah. I will always do that. So. Yeah. yeah, and I think I think the thing is remembering that um, you know I haven't got the grace to be you, and you haven't got the grace to be me. I, mm. I've only got the grace to be me. So to try yeah. and be someone else is it's very tiring, and it's not what God wants. So. And how how about okay? So so between leaders and not comparing each other is okay. Um, but how about with people that we lead? Because you you talked about authenticity. And, you know, we are all kind of, even if, if you're not taught specifically that, you're just like, oh, you can't really share with everybody. And, you know, you have to have to be careful. And, and I think that's, that is definitely true. Yeah. But how do you go on about being authentic of who you are and yet be vulnerable in front of people that you lead? What yeah, is the question. balance? Again, I think you've got to be led by the spirit. Um, I... 
I'm a big fan of it. I think, I, I don't know, I think, I think most, I think quite a lot of people who have experienced my leadership would say one of the things they value about me is the authenticity. I think there's something very powerful about a leader being honest and open about what's going on. And actually it, it creates culture like nothing much else. I think people can tell if we're just teaching theory. Um, it, there's, a total, there's a big difference between theory and actually speaking out of your own personal experience. And my, my experience has been, well, personally, Simon Holly, who you guys probably will know, leads King's Arms. The, the, the very first reason that I felt free and released to get freedom in the first place when I first became a Christian was because I heard... Um, I heard Simon share from the front of church about his own journey of deliverance in Oklahoma. So I heard his story and I thought, oh, phew, I think I need freedom. But I'd, I'd been feeling up to that point as a leader. Um, but when he shared, it gave me permission to deal with stuff. And I got massive freedom. And so I think... I've I've seen that in my own life, and I and I see that often with the students that we lead, as I'm honest and authentic. So the other week, I am. Um, last term, I struggled quite a lot with anxiety, quite out of the blue. Never struggled with it before. Very odd, and I had to get with Jesus on it. Talked it through with friends. Prayed about it, and I was speaking at TSM one evening, and I just felt like I should share with the students what's gone on, and it was very live for me. It was a live issue. So I shared at the front and said, look, I'm, I've been struggling with anxiety. This is how it's made me feel. If anyone else in the room can relate to what I've just described, I want you to stand up. Um, and about probably about half the room stood up. But because of that, it meant that they were able to step into freedom and access freedom that otherwise they would have just been stuck. Now, there is wisdom in terms of I, would, I don't share everything with everyone. I've got a few trusted friends who would be those people. Um, but I am a big fan of it. And I think often the people we lead can think, you know, they can be disempowered actually, because they sometimes can look at us and think, well, there's no way I can, there's no way I can be like that. If we present this perfect persona, there's no way I can be, because they know their own heart. They know what's going on in their own heart. They think, oh gosh, nothing's wrong with you. I can't ever, I can't ever aspire to that. I would much rather everyone realize I am really normal, just like you. I am going on a journey with God, just like you. You can access everything I access because we're, we're both the same. So that's my personal preference. Great. And, um, you know, again, talking about the context of, of a church plant or even just people who are new coming into the church, so from all sorts of, you know, walks of life. And so what are, what are some of the first things that you would start doing either with someone who's new or in a new church to help people understand their identity in Christ? Mm. Good question. Are you talking about from the front or if I had met someone and I was discipling them? Both, actually. <laughs> you know, as a church planter, you are at the front and discipling people at the same time, really. Yeah. Um, it's a really good question. Um, it's one of those things that I probably do fairly naturally, but haven't ever thought about how. Um, so, I mean, I think one-on-one, -on -one, I, 
I'm I'm pretty encouragement pretty much is just it just kind of comes out of me so if I were hanging out with someone and having a coffee um I'd want to I'd want to encourage them I'd want to I'd want to find out who they are what do they feel called to um what's God said to them what do they feel like God's put on their heart I'll I'll ask all those kind of questions because that tends to reveal to me where they're at and what they think about themselves um and to be honest I just I just ask quite a lot of questions um so I will be led by their responses to the questions and through that I will you know if if there's a sense of them not not thinking positively about themselves I'll ask them uh, it seems like you I don't know what was going on there it sounds a bit like you didn't think you're very good at that tell me about that and so for me it's about asking quite a lot of questions and being led by the spirit in that and seeing what comes up um it's a difficult one to teach about in this setting because it's it's more caught. I think when you are sitting with someone, you ask them questions, they learn about it doing that. But yeah, I think I'm just showing an interest in the person and picking up on how they respond and then asking more questions to go a bit deeper on, on what's going on with them. All the time encouraging them. When they share dreams, I'm like, that sounds awesome. How do you think God's going to do that? Pointing them back to God all the time. So asking questions, what do you think God says about that? What do you think God thinks about you? All those kinds of things. So, so directing them to Jesus, direct them, directing them to the Father, because he ultimates the answer for them. Um, from the front, uh, I think, I mean, I sometimes host meetings on a Sunday, so I help to facilitate the meeting. I think it's just reinforcing truth. So when I pray, I'm speaking out truth thank you god that you are our father thank you that you love us with an everlasting love um, i'll read a piece of scripture out for example before we do worship to reinforce truth about who we are um, when i'm when i'm preaching again there'll be elements of the preach to do with identity more often because it feels like for me it's pretty key for everything so you know i'm, I'm preaching in a in a couple of weeks on serving and I'm going to preach about um, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. But there's a huge chunk on identity because it says Jesus knew, knew who he'd come from, knew where he was going, knew he had all authority, so he washed his disciples' feet. So in other words, his service came out of understanding who he was. So I, I just talk about it quite a lot and then try and model it with stories I share, model my mistakes, um, share about breakthroughs um, just to keep it on the agenda really yeah that's brilliant yeah um, you talked about how important it is to recognize lies that that you know you, you had in your life and and the devil's been telling you and actually just to, to unravel it and what what do you think sorry if this is like on a spot um what do you think are some uh, particular lies that would um kind of you know that, that you would suggest that people who are planting or pioneering need to look out for mm. <laughs> oh um well i guess it's a good it's a good question i think i, I can i, I it would be different for everyone. For me, some of the some of the lies have been you're a problem. Um, 
I think one of the another life for me with pioneering has been you don't love people very well because you're always going on to the next thing. So I have had to wrestle alive. You're not really loving people very well. You should be. You're not very faithful because um, I see people in my church who just stick with people for years, and I'm of the nature of great. I've done that. You go for it. I'm going to do another thing. So I think some some of that. Um, uh, what else? I think there's lies about you're going to get it. To you're going to get it wrong. You you don't do it. It's too risky. It's going to make a mess. Um, to try and stop us taking risks, and um, I think that. Um, yeah. Have you, have you got any that you, having done it, that you've wrestled with? Um, I think uh, probably, um, who do you think you are? Like, uh, good come question. on. Who do you think you are? You Someone go to a new town, you know, all these people who've done it before, they're much better than you are. So I think that's Probably one of the, the ones that I have to. Which again, it's interesting, isn't it? Linked into identity. If so, it's so accusatory. Even the tone of that is so accusatory, isn't it? Who do you think you are? Yeah. Well, that's it's a great way to unravel that line. Why is the enemy making you th wonder who do you think you are? Well, because he's a little bit scared about what you could do. Who who are you actually? Yeah. So yeah, that, that's a great opportunity to list down the truths about who you are. Um, you're, you're perfect to do church planting because Jesus has asked you to. And he's going to build his church, so. He does it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. Um, one of the ladies I know, she, she actually works with me. Um, and she always says, we often meet in the lift, and she just says, did you put your crown on today? <laughs> Good. Yeah. Right. Just remembering. Remembering who you are. Yeah. yeah, and then it's not no pressure yeah. on you. When you get to heaven, Jesus is wanting to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not well done, successful church planter. I don't even know what successful church planting even means. See, I think that's the other thing is sometimes we have this weird view of what, what does success look like. I think in the kingdom, success looks like obedience. Mm. And the rest is up to really, Jesus, you know. Really yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, we're almost at the end, but I wanted to ask you just one, one more thing. Um, obviously, our main, main identity is child of God, and there is no doubt about it that we need to cling to that. But just from a worldly point of view, do you use any tools like, I don't know, Myers-Briggs, um, Strength Finder, just kind of to, to try to understand yourself a bit well, from a psychological point of view, really? And, and yeah, how good question find that yep um in fact yes yeah, it's, it's we recently as a, a tsm team there's five of us we recently did strength finders it's been very helpful i think i think one of my observations uh, for people in leadership one of the challenges i think for many people in leadership is they're not very self-aware and i think actually growing in your identity in christ for me personally anyway has got easier as i've understood myself better and so, yeah, we've just done Strength Finders, really helpful. I understand myself a lot better now. I also understand the team, it means that we can love people better in how we respond and react. 
helps me to understand why I feel quite feisty at different times um, and how to manage that and why other people respond how they do. So it has been very helpful, actually. Um, I would recommend it. As long as you can analyse the results, that's been very, the most helpful for us. Um, but I think, yeah, the more self-aware you are, I think the more you can actually adapt and adjust based on your strengths or, and, and, and areas that you need to grow in um, and, and step into who God says you are. So very, very good question. Yeah, good. And I said last thing, but I actually have one more. Um, <laughs> any, any books that you would recommend on identity that, that really spoke to you? Um, Apart from the Bible, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there's a book called Supernatural Ways of Royalty by Chris Vallotton, which I found pretty helpful. Um, uh, I think, I mean, stuff that Heidi Baker's written is so good in terms of being like a child, depending on God. I read um, Birthing the Miraculous recently. Such a good book. So provoking. Um, I th I'm sure there's others that I could tell you tomorrow <laughs> off the top of my head. Um, yeah. Those might be, those might, uh, there's one called Christ in You, Christ in Me. Can't remember exactly, it's by Eric Johnson. That was really good. Well, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And just a reminder, you can find the full notes and everything that Wendy had to say at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 98. See you next time.